I need to get a beard like that. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. His, He's muted. His video froze. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Eric Berry. Hey! I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just a quick shout out about Ruby Dev Summit coming up in October. Uh, we also have one of our speakers as one of our uh, special guests today, and that is Marc-Andre Conoyer, something like that. Yes, exactly. My hey, French guys, is very thanks rusty. Thanks for having me. That's pretty good. Now, I know that some of the newer folks to the community may not know who you are, and you were on the show a really long time ago. So do you want to just kind of give everybody a brief intro to who you are and what you've been up to these days? Uh, sure. Well, probably my most uh, known work has been the, the Tin web server, which has been around for quite some time and still being used. So I still maintain it. But so that's probably like uh, how the, the work that has been more popular. But I've also created a few other stuff. Uh, more specifically, there's a tiny RB, which is my own Ruby implementation that I created. I also wrote a book that uh, some I have heard about. It's called Create Your Own Programming Language. It's the book that helped create CoffeeScript and many other languages. Nice. And that's mostly it. I think it was an early adapter of Rack 2 that, uh, and I wrote the first Rack adapter for Rails and a bunch of the stuff around Rack since Tin was the first web server to be based on Rack. So I think that's mostly it. And nowadays I mostly teach courses, advanced courses to developers online. Awesome. You've been doing those courses for a while too, haven't you? Yes, I have a course uh, called Owning Rails that has been going for uh, six to seven years now. So it's an advanced course about Rails. So it has been going well. Uh, is that, uh, uh, it's be because it's a really focused, really, it's an advanced course just for what we do actually is we rebuild Rails from scratch during the old course. So we start from Active Record. We rebuild everything from action view to the controller. And also a, late, uh, a few weeks, a few months ago, actually, I added action cable too. So it's a pretty fun course, and I think people enjoy it. It's really helpful if you want to master the framework really quickly. Is it an online course or an in-person course? It used to be a live course that I would teach, like you would join. I used to use uh, Adobe Connect. Like people would join a bit like we're doing here, and it would ask questions in the chat room. But now... I converted it to pre-recorded uh, videos so people can just purchase the course and do it on their own pace. So there are exercises and a bunch of stuff to help you do that. But it's yeah, it's pre-recorded now. That's incredible. Yep. So uh, the the topic that we have you on to talk about and what you're going to be speaking out at about at Ruby Dev Summit. I'm sorry, I can't even talk straight. I went to bed at 4 a.m. this morning. and I think I woke up at 730. So anyway, I'm not entirely coherent. 
Anyway, let me. I'm going to stop you there just for a sec because I got to say before we get too serious, I got to say, Mark, uh, you you. So everybody has a doppelganger, right? You are Merrick Christensen's doppelganger. From from oh. you look exactly from you, what if uh, Merrick Christian he's 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 a developer on JS Jabber. You look exactly okay. like him really? if he had a big gnarly beard. <laughs> Am I well, right? Thanks for right? Weird. Okay. Yeah, you well, he I'm does look a bit like that. Merrick. Okay. Cool. I don't, it's a compliment. Merrick's a very is. handsome fellow. <laughs> oh well, I'll take the compliment. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway sorry, so, I had to throw that out there before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, good times. So yeah, so we have you on to talk about learning machine learning. And we did an episode on machine learning probably a month ago, but it was interesting to kind of come at it from the aspect of how do you learn it? And um, you also have a bit more experience with doing machine learning in Ruby, which um, Tyler really didn't have. So I'd like to just dive in. Um, assuming that people have listened to that episode and kind of get the basics of machine learning, um, mm-hmm. do you want to just tell us a little bit about your experience with machine learning, and then we can talk about how you actually pick this stuff up? Uh, sure. Well, my experience, I've... Um, so because well, I can talk a bit more about this later, but uh, uh, the way that I learn it is by like recoding coding several projects that interested me and one and I try like several several times like to learn machine learning and failed all the time and mainly I think it was because all the courses that I found were really math heavy I don't know if you guys have tried to go and and watch like the Coursera course with the from uh, Andrew Nong or NG I always forget how to pronounce it but uh, it's a really popular course online course to learn machine learning but it's, it's really math heavy it was at least for me so it didn't work for me. I tried to like schedule myself to watch one of his videos each each day and something like that, but it, it didn't really work uh, until the day that I like read about a paper. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It was called or nicknamed like the Google Chatbot paper. It was a bunch of researchers. They had made a, like a chatbot that was uh, based on neural networks, and you would train the neural networks with uh, movie dialogues. And at the end, well, what you would get as an output is was just a, the chatbot could have a conversation. It was pretty amazing the kind of conversation it could carry with just training from the, the movie dialogues. Like it was all coherent. It could follow the a conversation with the several sentences and all of that. So it really blew me away. And that was the driver for me. Like to, I told myself, oh, I'm going to recreate something like that because it was uh, like, as it's, as it's often the case with the research paper, they didn't publish the code, right? So it, there was nothing around that you could just execute and, and mimic the results. So I told myself that I would, uh, Recode it and create it from scratch. So I did the, eventually manage to create it. It's actually, if you want to check it out, it's on github.com slash ma my username there, and slash neural convo. It's for neural conversational model. That's kind of the name of the research paper from Google. Uh, and that's my re implementation of the Google chatbot paper. It's not in Ruby. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, but this one is in uh, Lua or Torch. Torch is the name of the framework used there. It's a popular uh, framework for machine learning used at Facebook, uh, Google some time ago, and DeepMind to use it, I think. Oh, wow. So I have a question just around the whole machine learning and stuff, because that really definitely seems to be like the wave of the future. 
is there any kind of special like hardware? I mean, do you have to go out and buy like the top of the line hardware to just start toying around with this? Or are computers today pretty much fast enough to build proof of concepts and implementations? But then, you know, when you actually go to deploy this to any kind of real production scene, are you going to have to have like an entire farm of servers just to handle like this neural processing? Or is it, you know, really just a couple of servers and it just does its thing? Uh, that's a good question. But there are two kind of two parts of machine learning. There's the training one, which requires lots and lots of uh, power, right? And the, the like you mentioned, like the deploying one usually requires a bit less uh, CPU power or GPU power, as I, I'm going to talk a bit m maybe later. But like when you you want to actually use the model that you've built with machine learning, it requires a bit less power. So that usually is not going to be the problem. The problem is with training because you want to provide how machine learning works as you provide examples, lots and lots of example, and you train it several times on the same example. So that requires lots. But the more power you have, this the faster is going to be. Um, so to give you a concrete example with my, uh, but actually as you, your question was, can you do it with uh, like everyday computer? Well, I, I started initially with my project Neural Convo with my iMac that I've, I've, uh, I'm using this uh, currently using for this interview and it worked pretty well, but, uh, the limit that I've reached is not really the power. Uh, it was the, the memory because you want to fit like your model, you want to train your model, you want to fit it in memory. So I, I kind of, uh, I was limited with the size of the model that I could use to train my chatbot. So the, the results that I was getting was not as good as the one from the Google chatbot paper because Google has access obviously to like really large machine to lots of memory so they can fit models that are really large and have lots, we say lots of parameters uh, so that's mainly the number of layers, the number of cells that you have on each layer uh, that kind of tells how complex your chatbot or your model can be. Uh, and you have to fit the whole thing in memory. So that was, it became limited pretty quickly uh, on my iMac. And the other thing to note too is you can train on a CPU. So in this case, it's going to use the RAM of your computer. But this is, gonna, this is pretty slow like because it does lots of matrix operations. So you want to move to the GPU as uh, soon as possible. And it's, uh, my iMac is an old one. It's using it as an NVIDIA card. So I could use CUDA, it's called. It's a kind of a, a programming language specifically for programming on a GPU. But at, when you switch to the GPU, you have to use the GPU virtual memory, right? So you're no longer using the RAM. So you have to use the, the RAM on the GPU. So that's another problem. Now I only add like four, four uh, megs of RAM on my uh, card. So that's where I kind of reached the limit of the model. I could not train a model larger than a bit less than four megs. So I bought myself actually a computer, I built a PC from scratch with two, uh, I forgot the name of the cards, but the 1080s, I think, or 1070s mm -hmm. GTX cards from NVIDIA. So that I put them in parallel. So now I could uh, train a total of uh, around, I think it was uh, 14 megs or something. So much bigger, larger models. But I uh, have kind of, to sp I have to split my model to run on two GPUs at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at VMworld last week, or no, it was the week before last, but they had some hardware vendors that were selling hardwares that you can run your virtualization stack on, and then you could do machine learning stuff so it would connect to the, the GPUs. And yeah, they had like four or six, essentially video cards in the back of the server. 
along with, you know, all the bays for the hard drives and things like that. So that, yeah, you could do, you know, a large amount of machine learning across the, the GPUs and, you know, use the capabilities there. Was that like uh, NVIDIA cards and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, yep. because that's the problem I think they're they're having now in machine learning is everything is proprietary, right? You have to code in CUDA and mm-hmm. this is not going to run all the other. And that's a problem too with if you were using Apple products is now they have switched away from even the big Mac Pro. They've switched away from NVIDIA. So you can no longer yeah. use CUDA in any of the newer Apple products. So that's kind of a bum, I think. Well, they are coming out with the external GPUs, you know, through the Thunderbolt. So that could still open oh, up possibilities right. to get the external uh, GPU for that. But man, we're, I think NVIDIA is going to, I think we're in a kind of a pickle here because you have all these ethereal miners, you know, like taking away all the GPUs from people who are wanting to do machine learning. It just kind of hiked up the price a bit of them. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, definitely. It's a, there's a monopoly there, but they're. I think they, because I mean their product is much better. It seems, or it's used by because it's used by lots and lots of people to do uh, lots of cool stuff. Yeah, it's also kind of so, funny because I talked to them about sponsoring some of the shows to talk about this particular problem set, and they basically looked at me and said, "We already own that space." <laughs> 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 oh, okay, yeah. You can see where why that's about there. Yeah. Wow. So once the computations have been done, you know, so you've done all the trainings and stuff, and now you just have your model that gets deployed. So you know, fewer resources needed for the actual uh, deployment of things. How does it go about uh, storing and then doing progressive training? Uh, that's an, yeah, that's another entirely uh, kind of field of machine learning where you want to do, I think it's called online learning, where you keep improving your model uh, over time. So there, you could just use to just train your model and say that's going to be the final model and then you deploy it and you don't update it at all. And so, as I said, this is going to require less uh, CPU or GPU time, but it's still going to require the memory, like the memory size, because the model has to be loaded entirely in memory. But what some people do is they convert from GPU to CPU, the model. So they just train it on the GPU, but then convert the full model to a CPU so it can and then deploy it to the server because it doesn't need to run as fast and it's much cheaper to run a server with uh, lots of RAM than a, a server with a large GPU. So that's the good way to go about it. And then you could do, like you said, some updates and some minor trainings on the on the CPU. And because it's less data, it's going to be acceptable in speed and performance. So that's, a, that's an approach that I've seen a lot is to convert it to CPU. Yeah, so my whole idea around here is to create a Slack bot. And this Slack bot, you just add it into your channel. You use machine learning, so you're communicating with a spot. And you can tell it, like, hey, I want to spit up a whole new instance of this web environment, this web server on DigitalOcean. And then it goes out, starts researching the DigitalOcean API, learns how to just deploy with best practices to DigitalOcean. Well, you guys have a following out with DigitalOcean. Now you say, well, hey, bot, I want to actually migrate everything over to AWS. And then the bot just, you know, learns how to do that. I mean, I think that'd be awesome to have a a bot DevOps guy. 
Sure. <laughs> do everything. <laughs> Sounds like a really cool idea. I don't know if it's uh, doable. Well, for for like the machine learning, for machine learning to work, you need to have lots and lots of examples yeah. of. Uh, well, with the supervised learning, you you have to need to have lots of labeled uh, example, meaning like when you do this, I expect you to do that. So you would need to have like. Or, I mean, scripts of DevOps doing the thing you want the bot to learn. So I don't know if it would be mm-hmm. a good way. But, or you could have, like, there's a new lots of research now going on with uh, uh, unsupervised or to uh, reinforcement learning. Like, so you've seen, like, the, all the stuff around Go, like, the, the dev mine has won a bunch of things with Go. And now I think they're going after a Dota 2 uh, training some bots to do that. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but all of this is based on reinforcement learning where the it's a different approach instead of having like labeled example when you say, hey, when I give you this input, you give me this output. Well, with reinforcement learning, what you do is you just let the bot do its own stuff and at the end you say, oh, that was good or that was bad. So it needs to do the thing multiple times so you could have your DevOps chat bot do, try to deploy a site and fail like one million times, but Maybe it's going to succeed like a few thousand times. And then you you just tell him like, that was good. That was good. And that was bad. Or you could just tell it from the status code or stuff like that. or And that would be another way to do it if you don't have the example. But you can imagine how long that's going to take, right? If you want to train it like one million, one million times and you have to revise the result at two or stuff like that. So it's, it mm-hmm. takes a lot longer with reinforcement learning. Yeah, wasn't that kind of the example that the chess player robot used where it just played out every single combination of the game or tried to uh, to be 